see, you can turn to John 21. We're back into John after a hiatus of a couple weeks, looking in to Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, the upper room, Last Supper, in and the resurrection, one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus in Luke. So people, we're going to luck here at chapter uh, 21, but I'm going to read the first three verses, but I want you to go back just a little bit to where we ended a few weeks ago in verse 30 of chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So before we read those first three verses in 21, this is essentially the purpose of the book. It's essentially a purpose of any of the books of the Bible. Uh, I guess we could summarize and say these are given so that we have evidence to believe. Uh, that's out there a lot now. It was more probably prevalent a, f- a few uh, generations ago that there was just so not enough evidence to believe in God. Um, obviously, John disagrees. I think God disagrees. Uh, there's a lot of evidence. It really comes down to just whether you believe it or not. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today as we also look at the first half of chapter 21. So, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So that kind of sets the stage here. And you, you start off here in verse 1 with after this, because uh, we have this little purpose of the book. But after, well, after what? You know, anytime you see that in the Bible, one of the problems we have in biblical uh, interpretation and understanding is we just read pieces of it, maybe too many pieces of it that are scattered and we don't really get it in the context it's in. Um, so after what? Well, specifically before this was the appearance of the disciples, including Thomas, which we looked at a few weeks ago. But most likely there's at this point before this, there were six what we call post-mortem after death appearances of Jesus. And when you, when you look at this, one of the things I wanted to do today was give you some even more evidence that we get from the Bible, but you're not going to get this in the you know, one gospel giving you this sequentially, you're going to have to kind of put it together. And uh, lucky you, I did this for you. Uh, so we have six up to this point. Uh, we don't know when this day is. We're actually going to look into that a little bit and learn a little bit about the Jewish calendar and how Jesus kind of moved in among them. So the morning of day one, this is what we usually talk about during you know, Easter Sunday, he appeared to Mag- Mary Magdalene and to the other woman. That, that's two. There were three more that evening. Uh, the one we hit was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. But he also appeared to Peter and to the ten that night. Uh, and I think if I'm, my math is right, yeah, that's five. And then one week later, which is what we talked about three weeks ago in John 20, he appeared to the 11, including Thomas. And that brings us to this appearance. So this is the seventh recorded appearance of Jesus. And why do I put, well, there's a lot of evidence. You know, why are they putting all this in here? Because they want you to believe. 
He just put that there. We talked about that from the First Corinthians uh, passage that talks about if, if Christ has not been risen, then we're still on our sins, and we among all people are to be pitied. So the resurrection of Christ is the hinge that the truth of Christianity rests on. Uh, so knowing it well is good. There's a lot of books out there trying to refute it, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of happy they're trying uh, because it gets it out there. You know, it's almost better to have a bad book about God than no book at all. Um, the timing of this one's unknown, but there were 12 total. So, right, this is the seventh. We, we've got more. Sometime later, a week more, to some disciples in Galilee. That's this one. Then we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to 500 at once, which is very helpful when somebody tries to come up with the hallucination theory because we have no known hallucinations of 500 people at once. Uh, one, two, you can convince yourself of lots of things, right? And we know he also appeared to his, I don't know how you say this, his brother, his half-brother, little brother, uh, James, who wrote the book of James, who becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. We get that in 1 Corinthians 2. So if I carry the knot, nine, we're up to nine. We need three more. Well, here you go. The rest of the days prior to his ascension, he uh, appears on a mountaintop in Galilee, and he appears near Bethany. Um, one of those is to give the Great Commission. Uh, the other one of those is to ascend. And then that gives us 11, but you can't have 11, can you? I mean, you've got to have 3, 7, 12, or 40. Everything in the Bible is that way, right? It seems like it until you get something like 153. Wait till we get there. You don't know what to do with it. Um, this is the 12th, and you people may refute this, but on the road to Damascus sometime between 30 A.D. and 35 A.D., we're not quite sure when, but fairly soon after Jesus ascended and the church started getting going, you had this guy named Saul who was persecuting the church and has the risen Lord appear to him on the road to Damascus. Of kind of a, and Paul even puts that as to one untimely born. He appeared to me last of all. So we take that, and I would take that. That means that he didn't do that anymore. We got what we need. You got 12. Um, maybe you didn't have time to do 40, you know, and you had to go from 12 to 40, and it just takes too long, you know. But that's, the, again, this is evidence. You can get this from the scriptures. It's the evidence that he came, it's, and it's very hard to refute. This would hold up in a court of law so easy, except for one problem. A lot of people come into the text or into their life with the presupposition that supernatural things can happen. Well, if you believe in God, that kind of goes away, doesn't it? Because if you believe in a God that created everything, well, supernatural things really aren't that hard to deal with. I remember talking to a, a junior high kid years ago. He said, why do you have so much trouble with getting all those animals into the ark? And I'm like, well, you know, you, you want to read it in the context it's in, but do you believe that God created the heaven and the earth? Well, yeah. You think he had a logistics problem then? I mean, was it really that hard? You know, I, I mean, I think he figured it out. Um, you know, it was probably somewhat of a miracle. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you got some farmers here, but even you guys have to, not people have livestock, but you got to hit them in the bottom with a stick sometimes to get them to come. And Noah's just kind of hanging out and like, oh, look at the camels. They go on into the camel area. You know, I mean, they just come to him. You know, there's supernatural things going on here, right? So th don't, don't if, you, if you presuppose that supernatural things can happen, the Bible won't make a lot of sense. God won't make a lot of sense. Jesus won't make a lot of sense. 
And maybe you should be pitied among all people because your life is just whatever you can make of it yourself, and it ends when it ends, which is pretty morbid. But we have all these evidence, and we have evidence here that he comes in and he's revealing himself, and lo and behold, less who Peter's kind of the main character here. But when is this, you know? When does this happen? Well, you get a little of when this happens by looking at the different ways things work. We don't, we, we kind of deal with this on Monday, Thursday with Passover. We know that Jesus died the day before the Passover Sabbath. How do we know that? Remember, they didn't want to be defiled. Remember what they did to the two criminals? What did they do to get them to die on the cross? They broke their legs because you have to raise up and breathe, and they couldn't. And we know he's resurrected three days later, and we dealt with that, that that's actually two calendar days. So he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. We find this out in Acts 1. You can piece this together, and it's, it's kind of fun for me. There's that 40 again. God just keeps doing that stuff. Um, Acts 1-3, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, many evidences, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he ascended to heaven 42 days after the Passover Sabbath. Um, well, why does this matter? Well, it kind of lines up with the Old Testament calendar. You have Passover, and then you've got this festival of weeks, which is seven weeks later. You get this in Leviticus 23. It's called Shavat, which is the word for weeks. Um, so he's kind of following that. You notice that? He's kind of following this calendar. Because, you know, do you remember what lineage or what uh, ethnicity Jesus was? He was Jewish. He was a consummate Jew. He brings in the new covenant for both Gentiles and Jews, but he's the consummate Jew, following everything that it says, uh, trying to understand. And, and so there's a period of seven days between the time he ascends, and they got to hang out probably in John Mark's house, which sounded like it was a pretty nice house, um, before they do this Pentecost thing in Acts 2. So it's not that long. And why does that... Well. To me, and maybe it doesn't help you, and I'm sorry, I got the mic, uh, it, it helps give you a little, how long was he here? Because you think about these appearances, it wasn't like Jesus rose again and then kind of hung out with them for 42 days. And they just went eating and they went, you know, they went to the ball games and, you know, had all hot dogs. It wouldn't be turkey, it wouldn't be pork. Um, but, you know, they, I mean, that's, he kind of just comes in and comes out. You notice that? Remember in the Emmaus walk, he... He's actually concealed, didn't even know it's him, which makes me wonder. I wonder if he's walking around all the time and nobody knows it's him. I mean, I'm not saying I'm making a case for that, but he could have. But he just comes and he goes. He comes and he goes. And we see that in this. So this seventh appearance had to be between this day 12 and day 38 in that 40. We don't know when. And it's, it bugs the heck out of us, or me, maybe not you, because we do that, right? We would say, I mean, when you write a letter to somebody, those of you who are kids, we used to take this thing called paper. And we'd write, dear so-and-so. And if we knew their name, we wouldn't put so-and-so. But, and then we, what were you supposed to put up in the right-hand corner? The date. They didn't do that here. Even the letters. You got the letter to Ephesus. It's like, why, why couldn't you put in, you know, December 23rd, you know, 52? That would have been so much easier. And so we have to date all this stuff. Um, so we don't know the dates here, which makes, it, makes us know that we don't know, but was probably closer to right afterwards here. But why does it matter? Well, what you have with atheists, and you've got atheists that are just apathetic. They don't care. They don't want God. Then you've got these other atheists that are more annoying because they're trying to refute 
Christianity. And that's when you have good Christian apologetics that comes in and defends the faith. Some skeptics dismiss this because they think these counts are inconsistent. He can't be in Galilee and Bethany and all this guy. Well, I just gave you one way to look at it that's consistent. And you said, you might have come this morning and that might have been not even on your radar. You know, you, know, you might come in and say, man, I don't know about the consistency of the resurrection appearances. Struggling with that. You might, but you might just meet somebody this week it is or next week. It helps our faith to realize that this evidence makes sense. And so we do that. So you got a list of disciples in this particular one. And again, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but it is kind of ironic that you always got the 3, 7, 12, or 40. Because how many disciples are there? There's seven. Not six, eight, nine, or five, but seven. And do what you want with it. Why are they fishing? You know, you start thinking about that. Well, you, you can think back and, and think, some of these guys were fishermen. You remember that? At least four were. Peter and Andrew were brothers, and they were fishermen. And the sons of Zebedee uh, are, you know, John and James were fishermen. Um, if you get a chance, and I've kind of been pushing this, and if you get a chance to watch The Chosen, uh, you can get the app. Uh, you can get the DVDs, how are you? Uh, uh, Blu-rays, I guess they are. Uh, they they kind of go into this when they call them, and they, you know, obviously they're filling a lot of stuff in. It's a, it's just really well done, I think. Um, anybody seen that? Anybody didn't like it? I mean, you, you know, you don't like everything. Um, I don't really like Old Yeller, but you know, it's like you know, everybody each to their own, right? But but the idea of of them having a business, maybe that's what's going on here. They, they show that where Zebedee is kind of the, the chief operating officer and you've got these other guys who are fishing and you got the Roman people that are taking their fish and you've got Matthew who's helping taking their... It's a really interesting intersection of the personalities that become the disciples and the apostles. So perhaps they were trying to earn some money, you know, and, or maybe it's like the way we usually fish. You know, I, I could ask you, if you, anybody here fish? Nobody? Okay. Oh, I think I got a few hands. I mean, the enjoyment, maybe they were doing that. Maybe they're just passing the time because we, we forget that they're not, Jesus didn't say, I'll be back in 20 minutes or I'll be back in six days, four hours and 20 minutes. They don't know what's going on. We just, I just gave, gave you all the different uh, appearances, but they didn't know that. I mean, perhaps they didn't think he was coming back. And what happened with Peter at this point? What did Peter do before the crucifixion? He denied him, and that's still kind of hanging there, isn't it? But notice where Peter is. He's not. Some people say, well, he w went back to the, I don't know, maybe he did. I don't want to read that into that. But he told them he was going to be in Galilee. He told one of the women, Matthew 28, to go back and tell that I'm going to meet them eventually in Galilee. So my opinion is they're here because they're waiting. So I don't think it was, I wonder if he's coming. I think it's, I wonder when he's coming. And we think about that today. You know, a lot of these people thought he was coming back pretty soon. And then after he ascends, they were thinking he was coming back again pretty soon. And here we are, and he still hasn't come back again. So timing is a problem sometimes. Let's let him take care of the timing. He'll come when he's ready. Are we ready? You know, and I think these guys are kind of ready for this particular coming, right? Because they're waiting for him, waiting for instructions. But instead of just hanging out, with their feet up, you know, watching the game, they're out doing something, which is probably good, right? 
Now, they got two here, and it's just weird that they do this. There's, there's two, you know, John doesn't mention two of these guys, you know. We think maybe this is Andrew and Philip um, because they're ones that were with Jesus in the very beginning back in chapter 1. doesn't really matter too much, but there were seven of them. Um, it's kind of like Gilligan's Island. You remember that? That just came to me, and that's not good when Gilligan's Island comes to you during a sermon. You know, the professor, what was it? You know, the, the movie star and the rest. There was only two left. Ginger and Marianne, or excuse me, Ginger and uh, Marianne and the professor, getting my Gilligan's Island all messed up. You know, I always thought that's kind of stupid, you know, it's kind of weird. Why didn't they mention those two? And then I read this and I'm like, oh, maybe they had their reasons. They changed that later, you know, maybe addition, you know, 2.0 will come out. No, we don't do that. We don't change the word. We just kind of guess. Now, a lot of people think this, it, this has been there. It's, it's kind of been defunct, but this is out there. Well, this isn't really supposed to be in John because we just read the end of chapter 20, and this just got tacked on later. You know, I'm going to rhetorically ask you. You don't have to come back. What would you say to say somebody that came in? Well, you can't really take this as real because it ends at the end of chapter 20. And my hope after today's sermon is that you won't say, uh you at least have a little bit. They might not convince them, but it just doesn't line up with the evidence. We don't have any textual evidence. I don't know if you knew that, but we have three, actually four, if you, if you take the one from uh, the Washingtonians. The, uh, there's four main texts of the Bible we have from somewhere between the middle, early 300 A.D. and right around 500 A.D., complete copies of all 27 books an ancient Greek Koine text. Uh, the two main ones, you may have heard them, you may not, kind of fun to say. Sinaiticus, you want to guess where that was found? It was found in a, in a, in a place in Mount Sinai. It was a, a monastery. And there's another one called Vaticanus. You want to guess where that one was found? Yeah, they're real innovative with these names, aren't they? Um, found in the, the catacombs of the Vatican. And what we have is you have John 20, 21, and then you go to the book of Acts. And it's like, there's just no textual evidence this was added. It was always there. So that's one of the things. Every complete manuscript of John contains it. So a lot of textual evidence that this was. Um, so what, what, if somebody said that to you, well, you, all you have to do is give them one option. And here's one option. Perhaps John added this last portion to the first part, by dictation, and because at the end of this, we'll get this next week, we see that there's somebody copying this for him. We used to do that back again. Kids, there used to be these things called typewriters. You can Google it, and, you, and when you typed, you had to go foom, foom. It was really hard to get those down. I remember when I was at Avoca, we had, we had 20 people in the, in the typing class as freshmen, and there were four manual typewriters. So what was your wish? You want the electric one. You go, yeah, it's easy, right? But it's a boom, boom. Guess which one I got, you know? And I could, ta I could type 65 words a minute with around 30 airs. <laughs> Thank God for computers with backspace and little red underlines. Aren't those nice? I get one about every sentence. It's like, that's not how you spell receive? Wait a minute. I, before you accept, I, I can never remember those rules. I was a math major. I don't know what's going on. But, the, but the, the thing is, you, you, you have this, the evidence here that 
there probably was a scribe. Not every, but we did that. We used to do that. You, remember, you, you see those old shows, Dick Van Dyke, and you Google that one too, um, where you'd have a secretary that would take, take the dictation and then they'd go type it up. It, having a scribe was very easy. In fact, we have those people in the Bible. You remember it was the blank and the Pharisees? Scribes. One of the things they did was understand the text, but they were the ones that copied it. Not everybody knew how to write back. So we see this in Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 16. At the end, we see that Paul used it. They call him, it's a cool word. You can amaze your friends if you get on Jeopardy and uh, Aaron Rodgers asks you a question. You can, you can, it's amanuensis. That's the, that's the name for the scribes. So he adds his own comment at the end. And you say, well, how do we know this is true? Well, how do you know it's not true? Again, all you have to do is give somebody a, a, a legitimate option, and then we're okay. So we need to look at John 21 as apostolic. And I'm telling you that because it's important that we get the Bible right. It's in, it's, I've said this in Bible studies before. It's interesting to me, um, and interesting is the nicest way I can put it, that a lot of people believe that the Bible is inerrant, and the only main rule for faith and practice, that's what we have in our statement of faith, but a very small percentage of them of how we got it and why we should believe that. We're going to have a Bible study on that, and you can come if you want. Because again, well, maybe you don't need it. He's, well, I don't need it. Well, what if somebody asks you? And it's not a horrible answer, but uh, it's not always working that good. I mean, you, you, again, First Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, you know, that always be prepared is to make an answer, you know, to make a defense. It's that apologia word. It's making a defense of the faith. Be prepared to defend your faith. First, can you defend it to yourself? Then work on the rest of your life trying to help other people understand it. So, let's go into the text. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul in all of them because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, we think that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you got this fish cat. We've had this before. I don't know if you remember. Um, back in Luke 5, we have a situation where Jesus is starting to do some miracles. He's starting to preach, and Peter's boat is there, so he goes into the boat, and he starts to preach because, you know, it's easier to, people can get closer. This is actually in The Chosen, and one of them, if you want to watch that. But uh, 
And then eventually he says, let's go out and fish. And it's the middle of the afternoon. And you, I mean, I even know you don't fish in the middle of the afternoon because all the fish are going to be doing what fish do in the afternoon, and that's not grabbing your worm or whatever it is they use. So, so he said, and Peter, you can tell he's kind of, he's like, well, you know, we've kind of done that, and, you know, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter, and you're not even active. You really know what you're talking about. They didn't know who he was yet. And then we have, they go out, and what happens? They get so many fish that they got to bring John and James' boat over to get them in there. A miraculous catch of fish is what it comes down to. And we'll look a little bit, when you look at this, you got something happens with Peter's demeanor here. You have the first change in kind of Peter's heart. Um, but they understood from this that this was Jesus. It's like, oh, he's done this trick before. He's got all this fish that we can't. So that's why you say it, because why do they know it's the Lord? He's, they're not any closer to him. They know it's him because... Who else could do this, you know? So they understand it's him. And then you get this weird thing that happens. Peter takes his coat and puts it back on. You know, Peter's impetuous. Maybe he just wasn't, I don't know, you know. Maybe it was out of respect. I mean, remember when, when the word naked comes, especially in the Hebrew Bible, but here too, this is a pretty modest society. Naked would mean just having that little thingy, underwear-y, loincloth-y thing. It wouldn't be completely naked, but it's still, that would be very shameful. And that's, remember, that's how Jesus gets crucified. So when you see Jesus on, a, a, you know, if you see a crucifix or whatever, or a picture with Jesus on it, usually that has that little cloth around. That's probably exactly the way it happened, um, as far as we know. Um, but the other thing I wonder, and you, you just have some wondering here, maybe he was hoping that he wasn't going to have to go back and fish for a living. You know, you're going to get back into Peter's mindset. It's like maybe he's going to come and say, you know, I brought you in, but you, you, you failed me. Uh, I'm going to find somebody else. But so he's maybe going to try to find out. We'll get this next week in the end of the book. So it might have something to do with he just wants to see him. I think it does show us he really wants to talk to him. And then you see this at the end of the, the Luke version of, of this, or the, the first miraculous sketch. When Simon Peter saw it, saw what? Saw all these fish. And I've said this before. You would think what he would do is like, hey, Jesus, you never thought about coming on with us. You know, you work 30 minutes a day, you know, just kind of do your thing or whatever it is you do. And then you get all these fish. We work an hour. We get the benefits. And we can all have siesta and have fun. But look what he says. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? Why would a man see a miraculous catch of fish and think first about his sin? Something's happening in his heart, isn't it? He sees the miracle. He starts to understand who Jesus is, and I think he's starting to realize, oh, yeah, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of this guy. You know, get away from me. You don't understand what the gospel's about yet, but yet what does Jesus always start off with? Repent. Well, G uh, Peter's going to repent. He does. He does repent. He realizes he's done crimes against the holy God, and he needs fixed. He needs the relationship back together. He needs to get that main treasure back. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, I think this is important, do not be afraid 
from now on you will be catching men. And you wonder what Peter's thinking. He, he called me to catch men and I messed up and now I'm back to fish. Is it going to stay that way? That might have been what he's thinking. And so he heads off. First one there, seeing him. Now, there have been various attempts to explain the 153. Um, I was going to look that up. I think it's prime, so you can't divide it by anything. Well, 51, you can divide it by 51. Well, that doesn't do me any good. Um, what do you do with 153? It's not 3, it's not 7, it's not 12, and it's not 40. Now, my, I used to think, until I read this for the 498th time, that this just was, they counted them. You know, they knew how to count back then. For you kids, <laughs> they didn't have calculators. They couldn't just say, hey, Siri, or Alexa, how many fish are here? Um, they had to, oh, geez, Siri just opened up on my iPad. Shh. <laughs> Got to be careful with new technology. <laughs> Note to self, turn that off. The, <laughs> the idea uh, but, but you think about, I started to think about, I think verse 9 kind of helps us here. Uh, when they got on land, they saw charcoal fire in place and fish laid out on it. So there's already fish there. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And if you were wondering, if you think it's gas or electric or charcoal, obviously, how would Jesus cook? Jesus would cook with charcoal. Of course, I've got an electric one, so we'll do what you want with that. But uh, if, you're, if you're a charcoal guy or, or girl, you can use this verse if you want. A little bit out of context, but it'd still be kind of fun. You can say that Jesus did this. Um, so he's lay, he, there's already fish there, but then you have this big catch of fish. So they were cooking over the fire he'd already made. He'd already provided for them in some ways. But through these apostles... I think what's happening is back to that you will be catching fishers of men. I mean, and you can disagree with me here. Uh, not too loud right now, but you can email me. Um, I think this is what he's talking about here. I think he's saying this is like an enacted parable. I don't know if you know, but like Ezekiel had to lay on his one side for a number of weeks uh, to show the, 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 the uh, paralyzation spiritually of the, of the Hebrew people at that time. You had Isaiah in chapter 20, and remember my, tell you what naked meant back then, had to walk through the streets naked to show that the sins of the people were going to be revealed. This is what we call an enacted parable. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's weird. I'm not saying it's not weird. But I suppose if you were Isaiah and Jesus said, or Yahweh came to you and said, do it, what are you going to say? You know, he signed up for this. Remember in Isaiah 6, here I am, send me. He said, well, go naked for a while. Not probably what he signed up for, right? Didn't last that long, but I think this is an enacted parable. I think he's showing that he caught them. That's the fish that's there. He's prepared them. They're ready. They're ready to go. And they're going to catch a lot more through him. But it's always through him. I think that's the key. Who gave them the 153? You know, they didn't do it. They didn't caught anything all night. I think it's an enacted pair. I mean, you can disagree, but I think it seems to make more sense than I'm convincing myself. So through his power and via the Holy Spirit and their proclamation, the true gospel is going to happen. Think of a, you know, you remember how many people were caught in Acts 2 when Peter preached his first really good sermon using Joel 2 as his text? At least 3,000. 
more than 153, isn't it? You, you, you think about this. I, I think the parable of the dragnet may be in the, the background too. Um, you remember we, we had the parable of the pearl here, but the very last of those seven parables, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and set, down, set it down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing. Another metaphor, this is a parable, not an enacted parable, but it's the idea that, you know, a lot of times we go out and we, 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 we catch people. What does that mean? Well, they, they, they respond to, to, to the gospel. But I don't have any idea what their heart really is. People can fake it, right? And people who may be struggling may be the most faithful person that on the earth, and we just don't see it yet. So get, let God take care of that. But again, back to the, what happened here in, in John 21, they had no, no input on how many fish there are going to be and whether they're going to get any fish or not. And I think that's probably what's going on here. The key is that in making disciples, and we have to remember this, the power comes from Jesus. We can't do it. I mean, you, you got to admit, I mean, this sermon is really good, right? For those of you who are still awake. Um, but that's not that you, know, you try to do fine, and, and it may not be your cup of tea this time, and, and that's fine. But is it, it's the heart that's your connection with God that makes it worthwhile. Some of the worst sermons I've preached, people say, well, that really hit me. I'm like, did me too. I think I screwed up like 19 times. But again, what's your motive, you know, to do? You think back to 1 Corinthians 3, G or Paul saying, I planted the word, Apollos watered, but God gave it the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives it the growth. It's another metaphor for bringing in disciples. And then in verse 14, we get... That the, this is the, even though it's the seventh overall, it's the third where he went to the disciples, remember, without Thomas, with Thomas, and then, I don't know, did you notice Thomas was here? Don't be calling him doubting. It's incorrect. Don't say that. One more thing that, uh, before we get to the last part here, but why 153? They counted them. I just thought of this, so hopefully it works. Um, is it maybe that God knows each of us individually? That God knows it's not 152 and not 154, it's 153? And that even though we might come to faith with a number of people and be a part of a church that has a lot of people who follow, you each have a unique relationship with God because he knows you. He even knows the hairs on your head, Jesus says. So he obviously knows you're one of those fish. And it, it, maybe that's what that has to do. Somebody write this down. This is good. Um, <laughs> I mean, doesn't that kind of make sense? That 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 is the individual. I, Jesus knew exactly. I, mean, I would guess if you asked Jesus how many there were, he probably knew there were one fifty-three. Because everyone is precious to him. You know, we have that in different places. You have it in Galatians. You have the idea that, you know, it's the moral will of God that not, not one perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I think that's what we have here. I think we have a, an acted parable where 
it's starting, I think Peter's starting to understand that no, you're not going to go back to being a fisherman, which is, you know, a very noble profession, but that's not what you were called to do at this point. Um, it doesn't mean everybody who's a commercial fisherman today has to go catch people. Um, you, whatever vocation you're in, it's kind of the old adage, bloom where you're planted, be a Christian where you are. And then if by wisdom and decision-making you think you should do something else, then do it. And if God tells you to do it, I'd really do it. But you can be a very good Christian where you are right now. I mean, God's the one that decided you're where you are even though you think you did it. Um, so we think about that, that Peter probably is feeling, I think he's going to take me back. <laughs> and we get that next week. And it's just one of, the, one of the really neat scriptures about Jesus singling out Peter and talking to him. And we'll get into that next week. But for this week, verse 12b is kind of interesting. Um, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Um, but through this whole thing, Jesus looks a little different than he did. I mean, it's the same Jesus. That's one question people have. I have that a lot at funerals. Will, when I die, will my loved ones still know who I am? And that's continuously yes in the Bible. Um, how that all works, I don't know. But the continuity of self is clearly there. You, you see it in the Luke's parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's not like, well, there's some dude down there. We don't know who he is now. No, we know Lazarus is with, in heaven. We know the rich man is in hell. And that's the same rich man and Lazarus were there before they died. The continuity of self goes on. It keeps continuing. And, it, and we see this with Jesus. It's not a different Jesus. It's just a resurrected Jesus. And perhaps he had the ability to, to do all kinds of things that we didn't know. But it seems like he looks a little bit different. And he acts a little bit different than he did before he died. But look at these. They're, they're, this, these guys walked with him for three and a half years, knew him ultimately really well. But look at this. None of them even want to say anything to him. I almost wonder if he's glowing or something. Something was different. I think maybe they see a little bit of his majesty. A little bit, and you could think three of them who are present here would have seen him on the mountain when he was transfigured and see kind of a little bit that. And it seems like they're seeing that a little bit here. But I think what does it help us to look at? Don't presume you know what God wants until you read his word and understand what he really tells you he wants. What are these guys doing? They're waiting for his next move. They're not going to say, well, Jesus, I think this is the way it should be. And too many in American Christianity go to the text saying, let me find what I already think I know, instead of going to the text and letting it change you. And this is kind of what they're doing here. They're going to Jesus, and they're just going to wait for his next move. And we'll get that next week. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text, another resurrection appearance of Jesus, it hopefully for each one of us, it kind of buoys up our soul to know that the one that died for us uh, also conquered death. And this is shown by all these post-mortem resurrection accounts. We, we thank you for that. We thank you for giving us the evidence we need. Uh, I pray that each one here well, today, by worshiping and learning, we'll know more about you, and maybe each one of us will be able to help others this week in their faith and their seeking. Amen.